Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Rick Martinez. I am a cookbook author and salsa dancing queen, and I'm currently eating my way around Mexico. And I'm Carla Lolly Music. I'm also a cookbook author, professional cook, and yes, that's my real last name. <laughs> Rick and I have been solving and laughing our way through food problems together for more than a decade in test kitchens, in videos, and at magazines. And now we're doing it here on Borderline Salty, the show where we take your calls, boost your confidence, and make you a better, smarter, happier cook, just like us. Today, we'll weigh in on cooking from memory, chicken livers, and hear one of Rick's deepest, darkest secrets. Okay, it's not (laughs) that deep and it's not that dark, but it is a kitchen nightmare story. Like I said, one of Rick's deepest, darkest secrets. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get into all of that, Rick, tell me what's good. Okay, so I thought about you this week because I made beans. Mm, Beans. What I've found in traveling through Mexico is that every town, every region has its own, like, special bean. There's this bean here in Sinaloa. It's called Mayacoba. It's really beautiful. It's yellow. It's meaty. They're always fresh. They're just grown all over this area. So, like, in late summer, they're greenish yellow and they're fresh. And then later on, like right now, they're dried, but they're like always less than a year old. And so when you cook them, the flavor is incredible. They actually cook really fast. Mm. And last night I made some uh, confit spring onions, garlic, and lemon. Yum. And basically dumped those in with the beans. And they were so incredible. And I, I just remember thinking... Carla would absolutely love these. So I'm smuggling in about 10 kilos next time I go to New York. Okay, I will clear space in the pantry. (laughs) What is good with you? So this week I had one of those like, your chocolate's in my peanut butter. No, your peanut butter's in my chocolate. (laughs) I was making a coffee at home in the AeroPress and in the cupboard I happened to have a jar of really good Janduya from Christmas that's been sitting there. So I like opened the cabinet up. That Janduya basically jumped out of the cabinet (laughs) onto a spoon. And for the first time in my life, I like mix the Nutella basically is what it is into my cup of coffee with milk. Oh my God. And then I was like, why is this the first time I've done this? That sounds so amazing. 
I love Cafe Mocha and I love hazelnut and I love Jandouille ice cream. So then it was like, hello, like Mocha Jandouille in my face. Oh my God, this is making me so hungry. (laughs) And we haven't even gotten to our questions. Let's dig in. I love this. My name is Leah Siegel. My question is, recipes always, or uh, some recipes ask to saute minced garlic at high heat in oil. And it always burns. And when it burns, it turns bitter. So I just, I'm trying to figure out how do you cook garlic without it burning? When it's in bigger slices, it doesn't do this. But when it's minced or finely chopped, it just always seems to burn. Okay, it's impossible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just let's just cut to it. I think whoever wrote that recipe has never actually cooked minced garlic in high heat, or their version of high heat is our version of medium low. Yeah, I think that is an example of a very inconsiderate recipe writer, frankly. Yeah, it's terrible advice. It's terrible advice, and I mean, we've together we've written literally thousands, if not more, tens of thousands of recipes. Yeah. And I'm always thinking about not myself and the way that I cook. I'm thinking about the person that is going to cook this food. Yep. And even if I feel comfortable doing something, I think about, are they going to feel comfortable? And if they're not, if I think they're not, I'm going to adjust my method so that that person feels good and has a shot at achieving the results that I get when I cook this recipe. Exactly. Your job as a recipe developer and a recipe writer is to give instructions to someone so that they can be successful in their own kitchen when you're not there. (laughs) The trick is to find sources for recipes that you get good results from, and then those become your trusted sources, right? And so they could be the sources that you've used or that through looking at the recipe reviews or through the advice and, you know, recommendations of your friends, like, these are good recipes. And then when you get good at that, you're following good recipes, it's making you a better cook, you're going to look at a recipe that says, cook the minced garlic in oil over high heat, you'll make that adjustment on your own. No bad cooks, just bad recipes. It's not you, it's the recipe. Line two, you're on. Hello, this is Catherine. Chilies and dessert. What are your favorite chili, spicy, sweet dessert recommendations? I feel like just directing her to your show, Sweet Heat. Obviously. Starring Rick Martinez. <laughs> I mean, my my go-to chili, whether sweet or savory, is probably, for heat, is the chili the arbol. But I think that it goes really well in desserts because in a dessert, it actually takes the place of ginger. Mm. So that warm warmth that you get from either a ground or a candied or a fresh ginger is replaced by the chili. And so you get a subtle chili flavor, but then that nice sort of warming finish at the end. And you can even leave the seeds in it. Like So what I do is I just grind them up in the spice grinder with the seeds. And because there's, well, at least in my desserts, there's obviously a lot of fat, the sweetness is going to help tone it down. Also, the cinnamon, the cloves, allspice, all of those warming spices are just going to be enhanced by that chili flavor and heat. That's so smart about the ginger and thinking about, like, other things that bring a bright, warming quality and spinning it with another spicy thing black pepper, which I love to put in fruit desserts like strawberries. So if you've ever had like ice cream with strawberries and cracked black pepper, 
so delicious. And even in galettes, like blackberry, strawberry, nectarine, peach with black pepper, fabulous. That is such a, I think, a brilliant way to use black pepper. I mean, honestly, sweet, spicy, and also parenthetically acidic flavors are my favorite. Like, if you can get all three of those into one dish, which a lot of Mexican dishes do, a lot of Asian dishes do, your food almost becomes symphonic. Mm. And there are highs and there are lows And every bite is a little bit different. Yeah, I think people don't realize that spiciness is a actual sensation, like a physical sensation. So there's the flavor of the chili, but the experience of spiciness is actually physical. And it doesn't have to knock you over the head. Totally. And a lot of times that's what I like. It's like a kiss from a chili. (laughs) I think your handle should be hot honey. Oh, hot honey. Hot honey. Next caller, please. Hi, my name is Amber, and my question also includes its own background. I've always heard that if you do eat or cook meat, buy the best cut that you can afford. And my issue is that I can't afford a whole lot. So I wanted to know, what do you think are the best cuts of meat that are affordable or that you can kind of skimp on in terms of quality when it comes to budget? And I wanted to know kind of where should I maybe spend a little bit more with the knowledge that the budget isn't, oh, I can spend $20, it's I can spend 7 instead of, you know, 5 I think this is a a great question. It actually reminded me of when I was in college. When I moved out and started cooking on my own and with friends, we obviously didn't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I went semi-vegetarian for probably about four years. Before I went full vegetarian, I was cooking with a lot of broth. So Mm -hmm. one thing that I could afford is bones, And so even if you just go to the grocery store, just your normal, you know, chain big box grocery store, and just ask the guy at the counter, like, do you have any bones? So like as they're trimming out their meats, they'll usually sell you those bones for really, really cheap. So you can just go home with a bag of bones for like 10 bucks and then make, you know, like five quarts of stock. And then you're getting the flavor of the meat. And so the only thing that you're sacrificing is the actual like piece of meat. But, you know, for a college kid that didn't have a lot of money, that was a quick and easy fix. But I think when I hear words like skimp, you know, the thing that I think you have to be really careful of is particularly with meat, I've seen those pork shoulders that cost $9. Yep. And it freaks me out because I'm just imagining the poor animals in cages that aren't moving, that are living in horrible conditions. And those conditions translate into very bad flavors and sometimes, honestly, even smells. Yeah. So if I have $10 to spend on meat for the week, I would rather buy something that is better quality, even though there might be less of it. Yeah. And then just beef up your dish with other affordable things. So like vegetables are are usually much more inexpensive. And so you're, you're getting the flavor and, you know, you're not going mi- to feel like you're missing out on anything. Yeah. To skimp on quality, it's just not going to taste good. So set that budget and then go have a conversation with your butcher. Say like, I want to spend, you know, $10 on 
meat for one person or whatever it is. Like I'm cooking for X amount of people and I have this much money to spend. Can you point me in the direction of something that's great to cook as a steak? Or I'm super open. What would you recommend to me? Because they know what's in the case and they also know what's in the back. And to have that conversation, even in a supermarket setting, I have found people will engage with you, you know, even if you're not in like a hoity-toity, nose-to-tail kind of a place. Right. And then I, I think people also are like, oh, buy good meat. What does that mean? How do you know if it's good? And I think what you're talking about, Rick, is like humanely raised, mm-hmm. preferably organic, antibiotic-free. You know, as a starting place, those would be words that I would look for that are not vague, like all natural, which doesn't mean anything. (laughs) (laughs) Those are specific things with a specific meeting and certification. Also, like I've found that when I'm friends with anybody that I buy food from, they're going to tell me when they have something special Mm -hmm. that they want me to try or that they know that I'll be able to afford. Because a lot of times what happens, and I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but you know, you'll have someone go up to the butcher case and they'll say, I need, you know, 11 pounds of this. And then right. so the butcher, like, cuts the this and puts it on the thing. And then they see the price tag just, like, you know, turning and turning and turning. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I cannot afford that. I need you to take off, like, two pounds. And now this poor butcher has two pounds of this thing that this crazy lady just ordered <laughs> and he's not going to be able to sell. Yeah. And up you walk and you're like, actually... I will take that. I'll take that off your hands, two pounds of meat that you can't sell to anyone. Right. And he'll probably give it to you for a discount, and you'll be happy, and he'll be happy, and it's just win-win for everybody. It's a great question. Yeah. Make friends. That's key. Hello, you're on the line with Rick and Carla. Hi there. My name is Dolan Hill. I have an amazing slow cooker, coconut and ground pork curry dish that I always make. But a couple of times, and even just uh, most recently, I've tried making it from memory and just kind of riffing with what I had. And I ended up messing up the recipe and embarrassing myself in front of my new boyfriend. So my question is, how do I better create food from memory without constantly having to refer to old recipes? And then how do I gain the skills in order to kind of have that intuitive knowledge of what's going to work and what's not going to work? Any advice would be appreciated. I have a very handsome gentleman to impress. Okay, there's a handsome gentleman involved. (laughs) That is right. We are on the case. I have a question for you. Yeah. How many recipes do you cook from memory? I can't cook my own recipes from memory. Yeah. I start making something from my own cookbook and I'm like, I have no freaking idea what's supposed to be in this dish. I have to like take the book out. And then even then, even still, I'll start cooking something from my own cookbooks. And I'm like, why did I do that? Like, that's random and weird. <laughs> Dolan, do not worry. Unless you are a grandma that's making the same dish for 70 years, don't worry about cooking from memory. Yeah. It's fine. We wrote the recipe for you. And we went through all the steps and the fails and the triumphs and the getting it to a good place. And we wrote it down. So don't be embarrassed. And especially if you are entertaining a gentleman caller. (laughs) But there's another part of Dolan's question, which is also really interesting to me, which is about nurturing your intuition or your creative, like, riff ability. And how do you get to the place where you can just kind of, like, 
groove in the kitchen and make it look like ratatouille, <laughs> like a little of this and a little of that and smelling the aroma and knowing exactly what. That's not intuition. There's no magic. It's a myth. We're not magicians or like, you know, soothsayers. <laughs> it's not intuition. It's experience. And it's through repetition. And it is one of the few good things about getting older and like having been practicing this craft for a long time is like you gain the reflexes are there or the experience is there to like be able to anticipate or have made enough dishes where you might be familiar with flavors that are going to go together. You know, just keep practicing. This pork curry with the coconut milk sounds delicious. 100%. Make it a lot, you know? I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like constantly cook a new dish or come up with some new creation or try a new recipe when actually I really love the idea of making something that you enjoy eating and making it a lot. I think part of that too is remembering what you liked and what you don't like. And I use the Note app. Same. Love the Notes app. I remember things that I really like and things that I really hate. And it can be a dish. It can be a condiment. It can be a combination of flavors. Yeah. But I just write all of that down mm -hmm. so that I know if I encounter a recipe or if I want to make something, I just have to remember, oh, I can't cook that carrot more than 45 minutes or it starts to develop that flavor that I don't like. Mm -hmm. And that's where you start to develop your own personal saison or your, your personal flair in the kitchen. So Dolan, you make the dish that you want to eat and perfect it to the point where you absolutely love it. And your new boyfriend, your family, your friends will love it. A hundred percent. That's the magic. A lot of the questions we get here on the show are people opening up to us about what has gone wrong for them in the kitchen. In this next segment called Total Kitchen Nightmare, we'll be bringing on a crew of people who we are inspired by to share their own kitchen meltdowns. <laughs> but before we get into all of those, we thought it would only be fair for us to tell our own. Part of the cooking journey is about trial and error. Mm -hmm. You have to fail. You have to have that complete and total meltdown, practically burning your kitchen down. <laughs> and then you realize, aha, I am never going to do that again. Oh, yeah. It's been a really long road. There are lots of bumps in that road. And you just learn from it and get better. Bumpy roads indeed. Uh, so, Rick, I'm throwing it to you. I want to hear about the bumpy roads, the lumpy batters, the, <laughs> <laughs> the burning down the house. Oh, goody. I get to go first. Well, <laughs> funny enough, this story actually involves you. Oh. Back in our, our Bon Appetit days, we used to have daily tastings. And so every day at 3 o'clock, Carla and some of the senior editors would assemble in our tasting room and test kitchen editors would get their meals together, get all of their dishes prepped and ready to go. And at three o'clock, we just had a, a list of who was going to be serving. And so, you know, there were heroics, mm -hmm. there were egos, mm -hmm. there were moments of showing off and we all did it. And so this one particular day, I think I had like seven or eight dishes that I needed to present. Wow. And one of them was this Italian plum cake, which I absolutely adore. Yeah. Italian plums are late season. They're super flavorful and delicious. 
and I was very excited about this cake. But I wasn't focused. I wasn't in the moment. I was thinking about all of the things that needed to get done to get the, the dishes out on time. And I did something. Actually, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> I can only believe that I put too much butter or not enough flour. Okay. In any case, I put the cake in the oven. And about midway through... Chris Morocco started sniffing. He's like a hound dog. Totally. Like, you know when he starts sniffing, something is afoot. And I was like, oh, God, what is that? And I smelled something burning, and I was like, oh, shit. There's smoke (laughs) coming out of my oven. And so, you know, in the vein of showing off and also not wanting to show failure, Mm -hmm. I quickly pulled that cake out of the oven, saw that it had basically boiled over and spilled onto the floor of the oven and was burning. Oh, my God. I literally threw the cake pan with the unbaked cake into my drawer in my island Scraped up all the <laughs> shit on the bottom of the oven, threw it <laughs> into another drawer. Oh, my God. And then quickly acted like nothing was happening. Wow. Claire started to, like, walk over. I'm like, why do I smell cake? Are you making a cake? And I'm like, me? No, no, no. I'm making enchiladas, obviously. And no one was the wiser. I definitely had no idea that you had, like, had you know, what we used to lovingly refer to as the char of the day. Right, right. You know, I think for me, what I took away from that moment is that you really need to be present when you're not focused on what you're doing. Like, I mean, A, it can be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Cooking involves fire, it involves sharp knives. And if you are preoccupied with something else, good or bad, and you're not in the moment, you can hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. Right. But minimally, you're probably going to fuck up your recipe. And so now, I know that if I'm in a bad mood, whatever I'm doing is not going to be good. So I might as well just wait until I'm clear and I'm focused on what I'm doing and my food will turn out much better. Yeah, multitasking, like honestly, our brains are not set up for it. So to juggle seven dishes like that is very difficult, but you solved it in the perfect way. So if this happened at a dinner party, you did exactly what I would want someone to do, which is throw the cake away and just serve ice cream. (laughs) Okay, that sounds like you have a kitchen nightmare that you want to share. Yeah, stay tuned. Mine was uh, definitely a party. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest who celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense thing you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. 
Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Borderline Salty is all about celebrating food and cooking and removing the barriers to our culinary adventures. With that in mind, we want to give time to the foods we maybe don't love yet and open ourselves up to giving them the try they deserve. That's what our next segment, No Thank You Please, is all about. Carla, can you actually take us back and tell us how that term, No Thank You Please, actually got started? A hundred percent. So my younger son is actually quite a selective eater. I don't like to call him picky, but especially when he was younger, there were things he just really did not like. And we had an amazing babysitter, shout out to Carolyn Page, who came up with this thing at dinner time where if there was something on the plate that he didn't want to try, she would say, just take a no thank you please bite. And the deal was, you just have to take one bite if you don't like it that's fine. No one's going to make you eat it, but you got to give it a try. So it was all around like giving it your best shot and then having permission to not like it if you don't like it. Right. So for this week's No Thank You Please, I thought a perfect ingredient to put on the plate is chicken liver. Mm. So many people that I love, love chicken liver. And I've tried it so many different times and so many different ways. And I just always taste that like weird chalky flavor and I just have never been able to get over it. But this fall when I was out at Scribe Winery for an event for my book, I was working in the kitchen like prepping 10 different pie doughs and there was a big party going on upstairs, like a private party. And one of the cooks who works at Scribe came down to the prep kitchen with a plate of hors d'oeuvres that they were serving at the party, which were these two beautiful chicken liver mousse toasts with like caramelized onion. And, you know, this person's bringing it down as like a little special snack to me while I'm down there making pie dough. I couldn't say like, oh, (laughs) thanks, but I don't like chicken liver. Like just as a cook, it's a bad look, but also it's just not gracious. So I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. And then they left to go back to the party. And I was like, all right, Carla, No thank you, please, on this chicken toast. Taste it without all the baggage. Like, taste it like you've never tasted it before. And so (laughs) I did it. I knew it was good bread, and I knew it would have been, like, really nicely prepared. And I took a big, giant bite and made sure that I got all the, like, vinegary, caramelized onions. And I really liked it. And I ate both pieces of toast. I mean, if I didn't already love chicken liver toast, you would have completely a thousand percent sold me on wanting to try it. Yeah. I think what's important too is like, don't dismiss an ingredient because you've tasted it one time. Right. My mom and my aunts used to stew liver Mm. and it wasn't pleasant to me. Like it just, it wasn't good. And it wasn't until I started working at a restaurant at ABC Kitchen, we had a chicken liver mousse which, I mean, admittedly was probably 50% butter and cognac. Yeah. But with that combination of caramelized onions and herbs and butter and cognac, like, it's 
absolutely insanely delicious. It completely changed my view of that ingredient and also inspired me to cook it in other ways similar to that preparation. Like I know now you soak the liver in milk overnight and that pulls out a lot of those like really kind of bitter and astringent flavors. I think also like taste it once, taste it twice, actually taste it like 50, 60, 70 times. And so for me, it was probably like my, who knows, 87th time trying chicken liver and I was like, breakthrough. And now I don't have to hate on it. That chicken liver toast was the perfect no thank you please moment. It truly was. That's it for this week's episode of Borderline Salty. You can find recipes and recommendations from this week's episode in our show notes. If you have a question or a fear you want us to help you through, you can always leave us a voicemail at 833-433-FOOD. Our number again is 833-433-3663. Borderline Salty is an original production by Pineapple Street Studios. I'm Rick Martinez. And I'm Carla Lolly Music. You can find our social handles in the show notes for this episode. Natalie Brennan is our lead producer. Janelle Anderson is our producer. Our managing producer is Agarenish Ashagre. Our assistant producer is Mari Orozco. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. Mixing and engineering by Davy Sumner and Jason Richards. Our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks. Original music from our very own Raj Makija. Additional music from Vincent Vega, Spring Gang, and Glovebox, courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Legal services for Pineapple Street are provided by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. Our executive producers are Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. We appreciate Leah, Catherine, Amber, and Dolan for calling in this week. And thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye.